This is The Feed. From Markham. From Richmond Hill. From Vaughn. From Aurora. East Gwillimbury. Whitchurch, Stouffville. From everywhere you are. This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. On the show, UNICEF Halloween boxes are back. A new mask that kills COVID on contact and support for newcomers. But we begin with the impact of social media on our teens. Jim Lang with an Instagram story. Well, mental health is a big thing these days. And especially, I know for my wife and I, we're parents of two teenage daughters. And teenagers in Instagram has become a big, big story to talk more about and how Instagram could be affecting the mental health of your teenager to be joined by Dr. Dan O'Brien, a physician, public health expert, a podcaster, researcher, a bon vivant, raconteur. He's everything, and he joins us on the feed. Dr. Dan, how are you? Hey, doing great. Good morning. Great to be on the show. Well, well thank you. Um, my wife and I do worry about this, about Instagram, about their girlfriends not sending the right comment or liking fast enough, and they we're like, sweetie, maybe they're busy. Why does Instagram have such a hold on teenagers in North America? You're right. It's such a great question. What we're seeing, especially according to the literature, is a lot of teenage girls, what they really look into what's called social comparison. So there's all sorts of this social comparison on what we're seeing on, on Instagram. So when we look at self-esteem, that is absolutely huge right now. I mean, especially coming off a pandemic with anxiety, with depression, all these mental illnesses. And I think that some things like Instagram or social media are possibly contributing to that. The only thing as far as what I think as well, I mean, not only that there's negative consequences, but also there is a little bit of positive though with social media, just because so many people actually are, are have been kind of socially distant, social distancing during COVID. And I think sometimes that connection with family and relatives through social media can actually help people as well. But there are some negative consequences, as you had mentioned, particularly around the social comparison. Yeah, because before we get to your book, The Camel Resilience, I I think about the Kardashians and their almost supernatural, perfect world that no one could live up to. I mean, there's only a handful of people that have that kind of income to live that life. And I find a lot of teenage girls see the success and the notoriety of the Kardashians think, oh, I I need to be like that. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I mean, particularly social media, what we're seeing with, like you said, some celebrities, some stars. And you're right, particularly the teenage girls, we really have to be able to look after them. And again, the literature is showing with this social comparison how crucial that is. So I think that we have to really look after the teenagers. We have to make sure, too, that there's breaks, that there's kind of social media breaks throughout the time. And I talk about in the book, too, this importance of critical connections, having someone that you can go to, always being kind of connected to a loved one, to a relative, because I think all that support is absolutely pivotal. Speaking with Dr. Dan O'Brien, the author of the book, Camel Resilience, Dr. Dan's Guide for Turning Surviving into Thriving. Mental health has been with us for centuries, Dr. Dan, but why is it so important right now? Absolutely. I mean, coming off a pandemic, we saw tremendous increases in anxiety and depression, right? Even bipolar, PTSD. I mean, there's just so many people during COVID that were socially withdrawn. And I think that we saw such an increase in anxiety and depression because of that. I mean, people were overall down. And I think that, you know, luckily, as people, I felt like people exercised, maybe even a little bit more, people were getting outside. And I think that really helped with mental illness. And I think this critical connections that I talk about in the book, being able to connect with other people, having that support system is really going to help with the mental illness. But right now, it's certainly on the rise. Even opiate use disorder is huge right now, not only anxiety, depression, but opiate use disorder. So we have to be able to continue to have support systems for these patients. Well, Dr. Dan, I think that's something my wife and I concern ourselves with, with our daughters, with our family, and seeing their friends is a lot of them are on anti-anxiety meds and depression meds, anti-depression meds. I'm wondering, is there a natural way other than exercise where they can deal with this so they don't have to go in pharmaceuticals at a young age? Right. I, I think, I've, you know, obviously you hit it right there, the exercise, but also I'm a firm believer of even a little bit of psychotherapy, meaning that you know you have someone you can go to, whether it be a counselor, whether it be a relative or a parent. I think being involved, being parental engagement is absolutely huge. Being engaged with your child is so important, and I think that really is the trick. You know, I'm with you. I think that sometimes throwing all these pharmaceutical drugs is not the answer. I mean, there's so many side effects. All those medications have side effects. So I think 
the parental engagement, I would say number one, of course, the exercise, and again, that critical connection, making sure that you're really involved and you're aware of what's going on with your child. How important is it to see stars, athletes, uh, professional Olympic athletes, uh, singers and actors come out and say, hey, I've had to battle mental health. It's okay to get help. Oh, I think it's huge. I think a lot of people look up to him, right? And I think that sometimes you have to be honest and genuine with yourself, right? I think that really helps, too, as far as how you're feeling, how you're thinking about things, is really just being honest. And I think these athletes and these celebrities are really honest about saying, hey, we really are normal. We are a normal human being. And I, I think it's okay. I think there's a huge spectrum of anxiety and depression, and it's okay to have your days where you feel a little bit down. And But, again, you've got someone that you can go to that, can kind of, that you can rely on. And I think that's important, not only parental engagement, but making sure that you've got a good support system around you because I think there is a spectrum, right? There is a spectrum along the anxiety and depression as people kind of fluctuate throughout the day with various moods. Now, I know you're going to think this is silly, but I've always found that pets, we used to have a dog and cat, now we just have a cat. They've been a big help for me if I'm feeling down. Is that is that silly for me to think that, that pets help? No, I, I think you're absolutely I am a huge dog lover. We have dogs at home. and You're right. It's, I think it's great for the kids. I think it's great for the families. I think that um, every household should have some sort of pet. I think it's a wonderful responsibility. And I think you're onto something. I think there needs to be more research on, on what pets can maybe do for, say, mental illness, which is right now, you know, it's on the rise. Because our, our girls are in university now, and, and they're in different schools, but both of them, they have different kids who have service dogs in school. And not just because of a physical ailment, but for some of them, it's for anxiety and dealing with the pressure of university and college life. I love it. I, I think it's absolutely great. I, I think what animals kind of bring, I mean, what's, what's so nice, right? If you look about dogs or any other pet, they live in real time, right? They're so excited when you come home, they're happy to see you. And that's the wonder, wonderful thing about pets. They live in real time. And I think it, it, it could be a great support system for, for university kids, for kids of, of all ages. And even I think for adults as well. Speaking to Dr. Dan O'Brien, the author of a great book, Camel Resilience, Dr. Dan's Guide for Turning Surviving into Thriving. And I'm, I'm the, I will never pretend to think I know social media to the level my kids do because that's how they, they communicate to each other with Snapchat and Instagram. But is there anything we can do as parents to sort of help them change the way they view social media and how it impacts them? Yes, great question. I think the number one thing is obviously be aware of maybe what your child is watching, but if you can't have that strict control, maybe have breaks. Maybe have what I like to call social media breaks where they take a little bit of time away from their social media. Maybe you play a game at, at home with the family or go for a walk or exercise, but it's these little social media breaks that I think are, are really key. And that again, I go back to this parental engagement, making sure the parents are engaged as possible. And I, I get it. You know, I've got you know friends that I have the college-age students where it's like, boy, it's tough to have that complete control. But again, I think being involved, and I think even with like texting, I think it's been great for, for even if you look at adults to kids, they're able to kind of text their parents, they're able to have that constant engagement. I, I think it's wonderful. Well, the texting thing, I'm glad you brought that up. That's one thing we found, you know, it's tough dropping your kids off at college and university, but being able to text them every couple of days, hey, what are you doing? How's it going? Are you eating okay? I find for my wife and I, that's that's been good for our mental health. Oh, for sure. It, it's awesome. I, I think it really kind of helps the parents not worry as much, that constant engagement where, you know, years ago you'd have to call, you'd have to call the dorm room, or maybe they were in class or, you know, elsewhere. But I, I think the texting is great for parents to have that, again, that constant engagement with their child. And I think that's going to lead to a sustainable relationship down the road with your child and have positive outcomes. Well, you know what it was like back in the day in the 80s? You, you, you talk to your parents, how you doing? Oh, fine. How's everything going? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> that's all you, <laughs> as a parent, right. that's all you got. <laughs> Exactly. No, you're right. And I think that asking more specific or detailed questions, and there's actually been research on this, instead of asking them, you know, how's your day, be a little bit more specific as you kind of can engage in more conversation. Because you're right, a lot of people say, well, it's fine or it's good. But if you can deep, you know, dive a little bit deeper in the questions to your kids, you actually learn a lot more. You know, tell me more about that or you know, be a little bit more specific with your questions will really help. I think this is fantastic. This is a must for all parents and everyone in North America right now, especially post-COVID. Dr. Dan, thank you so much for your insight. This is greatly appreciated. Yes, absolutely. Always happy to be on the show, and you've got my contact information, so happy to help. We'll do it. Talk to you later. All right. Sounds great. Next, a program to help newcomers adjust to life in Canada. Tina Cortez with the details. Penny Marenge is a nurse practitioner with the Canadian Mental Health Association, York Region and South Simcoe. Penny, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much, for Tina, for having me. I'm excited to be here. So what can you tell us about the Newcomers Health and Wellbeing Program? How does it work? Yeah, so the Newcomer Health and Wellbeing Program, it's basically an IRCC-funded program. And we exist mainly to help our newcomer community in the York Region, South Simcoe, Greater Toronto area. Just, you know, grow in a safe and very supported environment. And um, basically we do this by managing their health and well-being um, needs, you know, recognizing the challenges that exist in settling in a new country, leaving behind all you've known, learning a new language, and then you add on the pandemic. So now newcomers are indoors trying to learn English through Zoom and also recognizing, you know, some of the social support that would typically exist for newcomers because of the pandemic are not there. Um, So basically like church, those newcomer meetups for moms. So we step in and offer that um, mental health support, whether it means meeting with a therapist or myself as a nurse practitioner, which we'll talk a bit about more. So it's basically just making sure their transition as they settle into Canada is, um, is, is, is well for them. And what does IRCC stand for? So the IRCC is the Immigration, Refugee, and Citizenship Council of Canada. So basically the arm of the federal government that manages um, refugees and newcomers to Canada as a whole. And how do the mental health issues, how do they present themselves and how do you know what to do? Yeah, so especially with the population that we serve, the newcomers um, and immigrants to Canada, um, with mental health, it's it's a it's one of those topics that are really, I would want to say taboo. So it's first of all, it's it's hard to kind of tease apart. So I think they'll mainly come looking for help. So basically, they'll come and say, you know, I have pain, I can't explain my back pain, or I'm having um, trouble sleeping, and then from there we are able to kind of tease apart and offer that psychoeducation. So that's just explaining that maybe your symptoms could be related to anxiety or depression. So it's just basically being able to recognize how um, symptoms present in cultures where mental health was probably something that was never talked about and just being able to offer in a language that's easy to understand. And can you describe some of the specific strategies used to support someone? Yeah, so absolutely. So some of the ways, first of all, I'd like to speak about how we make sure that we are providing cultural competent care. So first of all, we use um, language appropriate services through MCIS. And this is basically an interpreter service. So we offer services in Urdu, Kurmanji, Cantonese, Russian, Spanish, you name it. And so what that does, it kind of puts down those barriers for the newcomers to feel I have someone I can talk to. So some of the strategies we use are through um, cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's the work of the clinical therapist. So going through different therapy sessions over maybe at a four or a six week session. And then my role as the nurse practitioner is coming in on board and offering that um, physical health assessment piece. Um, and basically if they need like a prescription field or if they don't have a GP, so um, being like a bridge for them as they transition into Canada and offering maybe medical advice if they might have any questions that they might have. So Penny, it sounds like the approach focuses on the person as a whole. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And thank you for asking that because one of our philosophies um, during the creation of the program is making sure that it was person-centered. And that basically just means looking at the person as a whole and encompassing some of the um, life experiences that they have been through. And also recognizing that some of the clients we serve have been through trauma. So we do have a partnership with the CEDA Center, which is a new market. And we offer trauma-specific therapy to some of the newcomers. So we look at the patient as a whole and their life journey and um, seeing where they're from and where they're going and kind of bridging that gap. And are they open to talking about, you know, their trauma or the bad memories? So that's an interesting question. I think open is, it's, it's, a, it's a big term because it depends. Initially, of course, it's that building that rapport and that relationship. So through working with the clinical therapist, they first do, I guess, um, 
the I would have to say the the beginning work of trauma therapy, and then some are more easy to to work with at the beginning, but some kind of we need to take it more into now working with the trauma-specific therapist. So I would say it's individualized. I can't say there's one size fits all, just like with anything in life. Um, so it depends. I would have to say some clients have an easier time than others going to those hard places with trauma. Mm-hmm. And how do you build on a patient's strengths, for example? A lot of the patients, and I think this applies to all aspects of healthcare, um, just recognizing that before the diagnosis, before the mental health, um, before the mental illness, seeing the person before seeing the diagnosis, I think helps a lot. So what that means is just in doing our health history, like say my role as a nurse practitioner in collecting their health history, um, kind of picking up pieces, like say someone will say, oh, I used to do... Um, I was a chef back in Iran, or I was um, I used to take care of patients. So I think drawing those things that people enjoyed and people loved and trying to bring them back to the surface as far as maybe there are things that we can work on and strengthen those skills that you have internally, your interests, the values, things that make you come alive have been beneficial in making the, the clients feel um strengthened, I think, as far as their their purpose and their role in Canada. And so why do you think there's a need for this type of program for newcomers? So like I said at the beginning, you know, um, especially, so let me start off by saying, first of all, um, 80% of the staff in the program, being newcomers, uh, most of us ourselves, we have, I guess, been in that situation where you know what it's like to leave everything you've known, settle in a new country, try to learn a language, and now you're trying to raise a family. Um, so it comes with challenges, and I think being able to offer a place where a newcomer can come to a new country and finally hear someone who speaks their language on the other end and is able to help them unpack some of those things that they never thought they could talk about from their home countries. And it, I think it helps the transition because recognizing the value that they add to the Canadian system, the Canadian economy, I think if we serve them better, they are able to contribute even more to the society. And is this in a group setting or is it individual work or both? Um, So it's a bit of both, especially, so I'll say, so the therapy piece, we kind of try and make it, and now that we're virtual, the sessions are individual. So it's individual sessions. You could go four to six weeks or even more depending on the need, and these are just one-on-one counseling and therapy sessions. However, we do have the option for the group session, especially now that we are kind of slowly transitioning to in-person, hopefully somewhere down the road. Mm -hmm. Um, There will be opportunities for group sessions where people can um, share experiences, share what has worked for you. So the answer to that, it's a bit of both. And especially my role as the nurse practitioner, that is more one-on-one. So it's more kind of coming in, tell me your physical health needs, how can I best support you? Um, And of course, their workshops are also as a group. So we do run workshops as well. So it's a bit of both. And Penny, can you describe your role a little bit? You called yourself a nurse practitioner. What exactly do you do? So the role of a nurse practitioner, it's, I like to say it's kind of an emerging role in general. Um, but basically what I do is, number one, I offer that bridging gap. So say you're a newcomer to Canada and you don't have a GP or a general practitioner and you're trying to find a practitioner as you settle down. So I come in and I kind of do that health history. If you have acute, so acute is just those medical needs that are sudden. So say you have back pain that you can't explain or you have a sore throat. So I come in and kind of come in and provide that medical care, whether it's through offering your prescription to go to the local pharmacy or even just giving medical advice that maybe you you do have a GP, but maybe, you know, the appointment was too short or maybe language was a barrier. So then I come in and kind of, because um, our sessions are longer, because we do have that ability to talk to a client for as long as an hour, as long as they need. So they have that opportunity to ask the questions that they could not ask at the GP's office for whatever reason. It could be cultural. It could be language as a barrier. So 
I come in and I kind of give that support. Um, so that's my role and also offering the medical related workshops. So those are health related on nutrition, on sleep, and just basically coming alongside the therapist to offer that holistic care, recognizing that mental and physical health go hand in hand. So many bases covered there, Penny. If our listeners want more information about the Newcomers Health and Wellbeing Program, where can they find it? Absolutely. So speaking a little bit about the referral process, like how do you get into the program? Mm -hmm. So there are different ways. You can as simply as self-refer yourself. So say you heard something today that resonates with you or um, someone that you know, maybe you have a friend who just came to, to the country or has been in Canada for like five years and um, is still kind of trying to work out their settling down process. Um, I can send the link and it's, um, um, the link is www.ca.surveygizmo.com. Okay, one more time, Penny. www.ca.surveygizmo.com slash newcomers health and well-being referral. That's great. Thanks so much for your time, Penny. We appreciate it. After the break, trick or treat with UNICEF. Do you have a story idea for the feed? Call us at 416-335-1059 or email info at 1059theregion.com. Ann Romer and more of the feed coming up. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. The mayor of Vaughan, Maurizio Bevilacqua, is poised to give what's called the State of the City Address next week, his first since the onset of the pandemic. That's a sure sign that we have turned a COVID corner. Mayor Bevilacqua joins us now with what we need to know about the thriving, bustling metropolis we call Vaughan. Welcome to the feed, Mr. Mayor. Thank you, Anne. I'm pretty excited. Next week, Wednesday, October 13th, is Vaughn's Chamber of Commerce virtual annual Mayor's Luncheon. This is a very important time for you, for Council, for the Chamber of Commerce, and the citizens of Vaughn. Yes, it surely is. And throughout the pandemic, I've been in contact with uh, with the business community because, you know, we, we've been challenged here in, in the city of Vaughan, perhaps not as challenged as uh, many other areas in, in our country. Uh, but nevertheless, um, when we speak about being ready, resilient and resourceful, we are talking about uh, our, our business uh, community, a uh, community that uh, generates over 225,000 jobs here in, in the city of Vaughan and, and a community that throughout the, the pandemic has, has demonstrated its great ability uh, to Pivot, given the um, the changing dynamics uh, as a result of, of COVID nineteen, we worked uh, very well together throughout the COVID nineteen. But uh, we, we we must continue uh, in this spirit of partnership and cooperation uh, to 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 really spur on further economic growth after uh, COVID nineteen. My the reason why I refer to this phase as being ready, resilient, and resourceful is because we need to be exactly that. I don't think that COVID-19 gave us uh, much of a chance to just sit down and reflect. Uh, We had to act very quickly. As you know, we were the first municipality in the province of Ontario uh, to declare a state of emergency. Uh, I did that because I felt that it was uh, very important to, to... Make people understand that what we were going to face uh, 18 months or so ago uh, was a, a major global a global pandemic and indeed a crisis that has brought the, the international uh, community to to its knees. And uh, the, the business community has been uh, exceptional, and I want to tell them that that even though uh, we we've gone through uh, uh, this crisis, we we are still you know issuing. You know, since 2010, we've issued $13 billion in building permits. Uh, Our construction industry and manufacturing sector has been very strong. Unfortunately, the hospitality sector has been hit really hard. And so I use this opportunity to really speak about the state of of the city, the programs that we have in place to help the the business community. Uh, You've heard of Shop Local. You've heard of the way we help uh, now. 
over a thousand businesses navigate through federal and, and, and provincial uh, programs. You've probably heard how, how hard I worked to to, uh, to really lobby the provincial and federal government to to really make uh, the business community uh, also a center of uh, of our recovery efforts. And this will all be talked about uh, on. Um, uh, on my speech uh, to uh, to to the to the members of uh, an exceptional uh, uh, group of people that belong to uh, the Vaughn Chamber of uh, Commerce. You know, Mayor Bevilacqua, you have shown exceptional leadership throughout this pandemic. So, as you were sitting down, putting pen to paper, pr- preparing your State of the City address, which you will be giving on Wednesday, October thirteenth. You know, we've got the mayor, you, and that is the the, the ready, resilient, and resourceful man that you are. But what about the human being? As you've reflected back on the past 19 months, what were you thinking as you were writing your State of the City Address? Well, first of all, you know, you you reflect upon uh, the very essence of what COVID-19 has been about, right? And you reflect upon uh, how it affected individuals and and families. You know, we, we should never forget that, you know, 315 families in Vaughan have, have lost a loved one, that our small business community has felt the financial hardships of this pandemic, uh, and our frontline and healthcare workers have put their lives at risk in the name of duty to ensure the safety and well-being uh, of um, of our neighbors. These are all things, in many ways, that focus your attention on everything that speaks to the improvement of the human condition. And ultimately, that is our goal. Like, when you look at the meaning and purpose of life, it really comes down to that. Whatever it is that you do within life is all about value added and and self-respect. That's what it comes down to. And I think what we've seen is a community come together and and speak to that value-added proposition. And that value-added proposition was, what can I do to bring about positive change to people's lives during this crisis? And that is fundamental. It is fundamental because it defines the spirit of the community. It defines uh, the essence and the strength of the community. And and to me, this crisis has really illustrated that the citizens of Vaughan uh, have that capacity uh, to look beyond their own self-interests uh, towards the collective well-being. And that, to me, is a definition of an enlightened society, an enlightened city. And this city, throughout the pandemic, has played a very important role. You probably remember that we intersected with history when we were called upon the provincial government to open the Cortellucci Vaughan Hospital early and provide greater capacity uh, to the healthcare system in the province of Ontario. Right. So there's something special about our city. And... Um, as I as I thought about the points that I will be sharing with the with the, the business community, I also want them to recognize that it's that what we have gone through has really tested our character. Uh, it has tested our perseverance, and and more importantly, it has illustrated the incredible respect that we have uh, amongst each other, and we've illustrated that in so many different ways. Uh, the role of government, obviously, has been highlighted. The role of uh, organizations that are there to help one another has been highlighted. What has been highlighted has really been uh, the essence and the very core of what makes us a very unique uh, and character-driven uh, and integrity-driven and purpose-driven uh, city. That is, to me, what is fundamental, because I think sometimes we get lost uh, when delivering speeches with statistics. Statistics are important, provided people understand that behind those statistics uh, are human lives that have been affected uh, by COVID-19. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And one thing that I have noticed is the way your government uh, presides over the, the city of Vaughan. There's no infighting. There is respect shown among your councillors, from you, for the this, the councillors, as well as the people of the city of Vaughan. And I think that that is certainly recognized by everyone who's watching very closely what's happening in Vaughan, including accolades. City building continues. So you've, uh, Vaughan has been the winner of several awards, including the 2021 Richard Goodman Pandemic Special Edition Award. What does that mean? 
That means I was pleased to announce that the city of Vaughan uh, has received, in fact, uh, as you correctly pointed out, the 2021 Richard Goodman Pandemic Special Edition Award in in the area uh, of local uh, government organization category from the Association of Strategic uh, Planning. And I think that uh, COVID-19 really illustrated that we do have uh, an incredible capacity to be strategic in our planning and that we've responded to the pandemic in um, in a way that is re- our shared commitment to deliver a cervix excellence is is maintained throughout uh, this uh, has been maintained throughout this pandemic and uh, ensuring that city business uh, continued and, and we received this award because uh, first of all we have exceptional people working here in the city of Bonn. And secondly, because people felt that the manner in which we um, we addressed this issue through a ready, resilient, resourceful a roadmap uh, was uh, was exceptional, and that is why we were uh, given uh, this award. And this award really belongs to the administration. It belongs to council. More importantly, it belongs to the citizens of Vaughan, who have been our great partners uh, throughout this journey. And another couple of awards, the 2021 Smart 50 Awards, one of which was for uh, Vaughn's uh, LED streetlight retrofit program. That's pretty cool. Yes, at the September 27th council meeting, uh, I was equally pleased to announce that the city of Vaughn was a two-time recipient of the 2021 Smart 50 Awards for the Winter Maintenance Artificial Intelligence System and the LED Street uh, uh, Light Retrofit Program. So there again, you know, you you have um, uh, organizations that look at our city and uh, really feel that the, the city is has come of age, that the city is an avant-garde city, a city where people really give of themselves uh, uh, to make sure that uh, we, we we exercise um, our minds in a way that uh, benefit uh, the, the citizens uh, of Vaughan. Um, it's a very innovative and, and creative city, and this is yet another example of what happens when, as I often say, in city building, there are two things. It's a labor of love, number one, and number two, you have to be all in. You can't be a part-time uh, employee of the city. You can't be a part-time mayor. You can't be a part-time counselor. And, uh, you know, you can't be a part-time media broadcaster either. You have to always keep, uh, you know, make sure that, you know, you, you have the pulse of, of the city. And I think that this is very much in keeping with uh, uh, the manner in which we govern here in the city. We are in the middle of Thanksgiving weekend, you and I, and everybody listening and following right now. We know that you encourage people to shop Vaughn local, which is the the hashtag shop Vaughn local for Thanksgiving. But let's get a word from you before we say goodbye about how we should live through Thanksgiving weekend. We're still under the threat of COVID-19. How do we come together and do it safely? I think we always follow the advice of our experts in, in public health. I think we have to be mindful that one thing about um, uh, COVID-19, and is that it continues to surprise us all the time. Uh, more than anything else, uh, I'm, I'm always concerned about the externalities of COVID-19. One thing we have done here in Canada is underestimated the, the, the power of uh, COVID-19 and perhaps overestimated uh, our ability uh, of our healthcare system to really address uh, the issue. It comes down to, to, to really personal responsibility. Um, you know, our, our, you know, I always say, you know, the vaccine, and then there's a vaccine called personal responsibility. And I think if we inject some of that in ourselves, uh, as we have throughout the pandemic in a very responsible way, uh, we can, we can solve this issue or at least um, try to defeat it because ultimately it has really affected uh, uh, our community and communities th- throughout the world. And I, I do think that uh, Thanksgiving is a time, yes, to help uh, our our local economy, but it's also a time of reflection, contemplation, meditation, and really taking stock of what we have gone through and lessons learned because life is all about learning. Uh, there are really no losses, just lessons that we learn from. And uh, Thanksgiving for me is precisely that period of time where I sit down, take stock of what's going on in my city, what's going on with me personally, what's going on in our community, and, and find ways to, to learn from it. And, uh, and that is how you acquire wisdom, and that is how you uh, excel as a human being. Uh, always, of course, in my case, uh, 
for the greater good, and that is to improve the human condition, to improve the quality of life, the standard of living of the residents and citizens of the city of Boston. Really, really appreciate that you've taken time to be with us here on 105.9 The Region on the feed this Thanksgiving weekend. Thank you, Mayor Bevilacqua, the mayor of the city of Vaughan. Thank you, Anne. Halloween may look a little different again this year, but UNICEF hopes families will dress up and walk for a good cause. Tina Cortez with that story. If you're of a certain age, you remember the UNICEF Canada iconic orange trick-or-treat boxes. I know I do. But what are UNICEF's fundraising plans for Halloween of 2021? Well, to fill us in, Rowena Pinto, she is the Chief Program Officer for UNICEF. Rowena, welcome to the feed. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so let's get to it. What can you tell us about this year's campaign? Well, UNICEF Canada's Walk Halloween Walkathon is back for the second year. Um, what that is is that we're building on the, the exactly what you were talking about, Tina, the iconic orange box. But we've now turned that orange box into a digital box. Um, but it is exactly the same in terms that we want families to sign up and really be part of changing the world for children around the world. Um, the past year and a half, or however long the pandemic has been going on now, has really had a, a very adverse effect on almost every aspect of a child's childhood. And this is no different for children around the world. So we're asking families to sign up and join with us um, at unicef.ca backslash Halloween and become a Halloween hero and, and raise funds for the children who need it most. Is it safe to say that the walkathon idea was introduced last year because of the pandemic? You know what? It was. It was. We actually had reintroduced UNICEF Halloween um, the year before, and we had heard a lot of feedback from parents that they were actually looking for an activation um, that they could actually get, you know, their friends and family to galvanize around. So the idea came about that wait a second, children and families already walk during Halloween, and why not we? Why don't we turn those steps that they're going to do anyway into a walkathon? The beauty of the walkathon as you mentioned, is that it's very pandemic-friendly um, because children and families can walk independently. They can walk, you know, physically distanced from other families. And if worse comes to worse and public health, for whatever reason, ends up canceling Halloween as they did in many places um, in Canada last year, um, families can still raise money throughout the month of October and still uh, hold their own walkathons and, and report back to their friends and family. So it really it's flexible. It allows people to do it in a very safe way, um, but it also allows children and families uh, to, to, you know, take some of that power back in terms of having a positive impact on childhood. So how exactly does the digital fundraiser work? Well, if you sign up by October 18th, you get an amazing little package in the mail, which your children will greatly enjoy. And in it is what we call now our new digital box. You'll see the iconic orange box on the front of a a lanyard, um, for lack of a better word. And also in your package, you're going to get a QR code that will actually directly link to your own personal fundraising page. So once you put that QR code on the back of your lanyard, you can go up to your friends and family. They can take a picture of your QR code on their phone, and um, they will be taken directly to your fundraising page and be able to to give you a donation. You'll also have the um, option of emailing your friends and family once you set up your fundraising page, um, if people prefer to do that. And then we just ask people to um, do their walkathon on Halloween night, um, as they would normally. And if Halloween does happen, you can wear your lanyard around your neck um, and have people at the door as well donate to you. And where exactly do the funds go? Well, um, the funds go to the fundamentals of um, childhood, which are water, nutrition, um, education, and health. And if you think about this uh, from a pandemic perspective, every one of those has been derailed in some way for children around the world. And if you don't think of children here in Canada, um, we've seen a lot of these issues rise up here in Canada as well. 
we need to get children back to a place where they can actually have a childhood. And so if you do donate to this Halloween campaign or you are part of it, you are raising money for those foundational elements of a, of a child's childhood. And it will go to the children most in need. Okay, so let's break it down a little bit further. If someone were to donate 5 10 15 $20, how much does that buy for a child in need? Well, the beauty of this whole campaign is that a little bit goes a long way. So, for example, $22 can provide 54 packets of Plumpy Nut therapeutic food, and that would nourish 18 malnourished children. $62 can help provide safe water, soap, and help reduce waterborne illnesses for 371 children. And $100 can provide 24 children with school supplies, including backpacks filled with the classroom essentials the child needs to learn, thrive, and reach their full potential. So a little does go a long way. Um, and we really do look to be as efficient with your funds as possible. And it goes without saying that this is such a terrific opportunity, a learning opportunity for parents and kids. Absolutely, and it's also a great family activity. You know, um, many uh, adults who were children back in the day and used to carry around the big, um, the iconic orange box have said to us that that was their family's first interaction with philanthropy. That's how they learned about the importance of philanthropy. So if we take that forward, this is a huge learning opportunity. It builds empathy. It builds um, children's interest in, in world affairs. It also builds the fact that children can make a difference. No matter where you are, no matter how old you are, you can actually be part of solving an issue or being part of changing something um, that is important to you. And I think those are amazing life lessons, and you're never too young to learn those. All right. So let's tell our listeners, how can they get involved, donate, or learn more? Absolutely. So very easy. You just go to unicef.ca backslash Halloween. And if you want to sign up as a Halloween hero, it'll lead you through all the steps. It'll lead you on how to set up your own fundraising page. And the minute you do that, we will be mailing you um, all of that you need to do in terms of your lanyard, etc. If you want to donate, then you can actually go onto that same page and you can search for someone who you know has signed up and make a donation straight from the page. Or when they come around on Halloween night, look for those lanyards, have your phone ready, take a picture, and donate um, directly from your phone. That sounds terrific. Thanks so much for joining us on the feed. Thank you so much for having me. When we come back, a mask that kills COVID on contact. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of the feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back. I'm Ann Romer. The war against the global pandemic isn't over yet. That's the bad news. But on a positive note, a brand new incredible weapon to help in the fight has just received Health Canada approval. A nanotechnology company based in Guelph has developed a revolutionary face mask that starts to kill COVID on contact. The ZenGuard mask could be a pandemic game changer. And the whole thing is entirely homegrown. Greg Fenton is the CEO of Zen Graphene Solutions. And he joins us now on the feed. Greg, it's great to have you with us. Thanks a lot for joining us. My pleasure, and I'm glad to be here. So talk to me about how all of this got started. How, what was the discovery of, of this incredible mask that starts to kill COVID on contact? Yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting story. So if I can rewind to March of 2020, when all of the, uh, basically the world started to shut down, our uh, research capabilities also shut down. But fortunate for us, we had just opened a uh, lab in Guelph, Ontario. So at that time, because all of our other projects were being put on hold, my partner and I uh, basically decided that we were going to join the fight against COVID-19. So we 
wanted to see if we could develop a compound that could be utilized in personal protective equipment. Uh, that is a compound that we could put on personal protective equipment that would give frontline workers uh, a, an additional level of safety. So we started working on this compound through the summer of 2020, and by September, we had developed something that was 99.9% effective against the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Hmm. So graphene is what you're talking about. It's this specialized material. Can you, in layman's terms, explain what graphene is? Sure. Graphene is just simply a single layer of carbon atoms. When you stack many millions of layers of carbon atoms together, you get graphite. So all it is is peeling off those individual layers of carbon. And when you do that, graphene takes on some wonderful properties. It, it's a hundred times stronger than steel. It's more conductive than copper. It dissipates heat. It's bendable. It's, it's stretchable. But one of the really unique factors that we took advantage of. It's got a very large surface area, meaning that you can put uh, different things on the surface of graphene or on the surface of carbon. And what we did is we actually put an antimicrobial agent and bound them to the surface of the graphene, and that's what actually kills viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Is there anything that would pose a danger to a person wearing a mask with this coating of graphene and, and the antimicrobial uh, thing? that are put on the graphene when you inhale, when you exhale, any dangers? No, absolutely not, Anne. And that's, uh, that's what we went through with Health Canada. The nanomaterials are relatively new materials, and there's very rigorous safety testing protocols that have to occur to demonstrate their safety. But at the, at the essence, it's just carbon, oxygen, and a very micro amount of silver that's tightly bound to the surface of it, of the, of the graphene. The graphene is then uh, uh, annealed or uh, uh, attached to the fabric of the mask, and that was the testing that Health Canada uh, required us to go through to prove that it was safe, was A, there was nothing coming off the masks, but B, that the material itself was also very safe. And that's when we got our approval two weeks ago, it was because we had demonstrated to Health Canada that our material was, in fact, Safe. Congratulations on that. That's huge, getting Health Canada's approval. So how does what you coat the inside of the mask with, how does that work to start killing COVID or SARS or any other virus on contact? So what we do is this, uh, this material is in a liquid suspension, and then we actually uh, apply the liquid to the mask fabric. And within a mask construction itself, there's a number of layers. So we actually put it on one layer of the mask, and as the pathogen comes through the mask, once it hits, it's typically um, uh, traveling in an aerosolized droplet, a water droplet, a sneeze droplet, a cough droplet. And as it comes into the mask, as soon as it hits our material, our material is very unique because it likes water. So it grabs onto that droplet, it holds it, and then the silver and the oxygen on the surface of the carbon or the graphene starts to kill the, start, starts to kill the pathogen, whether it be a bacteria or a virus. So that pathogen then cannot make its way into the mouth or nose of the person wearing the mask. That is correct. You know, it's funny, and I'm just going to say this as an aside, as a civilian, as somebody who isn't knowledgeable about what you're speaking of, for whatever reason, I thought that the masks just themselves, without the coating, without the graphene, stopped anything from entering the, the, the mouth and the nose of a person wearing a mask, just a regular surgical mask. Well, that's a great question, Anne. So what we did is we actually tested our material against a regular mask. So the, the blue surgical mask that you see everybody wearing, we actually took one of those, and then we actually took another one and put our coating on it. Then we did an enhanced bacterial and viral test against it. So we, we literally shot uh, tens of thousands of colony-forming units into each mask and, and then measured how many units actually made it through to the back of the mask where the user or to the user's mouth. And uh, just to give you a, a quick example, so on the, the viral side, 
there were 75,000 units made it through the uncoated mask, and our mask, about 1,300 colony-forming units made it through. And the importance of that is, is you hear them talking about viral load. So what this mask does is it reduces the viral load by about 99%. So no mask is infallible. There's always something getting through a mask, but with our mask, you've now got 99% more affection, uh, sorry, protection against the varicelized droplets getting through to your mouth. And does each mask have a shelf life? Is there a length of time you should be wearing it, not knowing whether you're exposed to something out there, a pathogen? Yeah, that's a great question, Anne. So the, this has been primarily designed for the single-use mask. Now, you could probably get away with using it two or three times, but we wouldn't want uh, the users to use it beyond that um, because, A, uh, masks, uh, the, the disposable masks should be disposed of after you've used them once or twice because they do get contaminated. Uh, but it still will be efficacious, you know, through we tested it for 16 hours of use, and it was still efficacious at that point. So the ink is still drying on the Health Canada certification. What is the next step and who is it that will be receiving or have the ability to purchase these masks right away? So uh, that's uh, our, our, we're, we're working with our partners at Tribor RX. They're based in Collingwood, Ontario. Uh, that company was started by uh, George Irwin of the Irwin Toy family and his partner Brenda Elliott. Uh, they're producing masks in Collingwood right now with the Vanguard coating in them. Those will be available on Tribor website shortly uh, in the coming days. Uh, Tribor is also selling them into various hospital systems, long-term care facilities, dental office, etc. So we are rapidly scaling up the production of our coating to go on those masks while Trebor is scaling up the production of the mask itself. And when will families and, and you know, citizens and, and people like me, people, just regular folks, be able to access these masks? That is uh, part of the long-term planning strategy here. Our, our initial strategy is to, uh, be, because they're in limited supply at the, at the outset, is to get them into the hands of the frontline workers to give them better protection. Uh, but I would say over the coming months, they will be available, as I said, on Trebor's website. They will be on our website. And then longer term, you'll be able to get them in, in Costco and Walmart and uh, various retail uh, outlets as well. You know, Greg Fenton, you have been quoted as saying that this mask is a COVID-19 game changer. What do you mean by that? Well, and th this is something that we have demonstrated is effective at killing the, the, the COVID-19 virus. We know that when somebody is wearing this mask, if a COVID-19 virus particle hits it, uh, there's a very, very high probability that it's going to be trapped and killed by this mask because of our coating. So we do think it is a best-in-class product. We haven't seen anything else in the market that has the same level of protection, uh, the filtration efficiency, as well as the antimicrobial properties of our coating. The ZenGuard mask could be a game changer when it comes to COVID, could save lives. Greg Fenton, CEO of Zen Graphene Solutions, thank you for your fine work and thanks for joining us on the feed. Thank you very much. If you missed any part of our show, please go to 1059theregion.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Audible. I'm Ann Romer. Thank you for listening.